jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three! Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown! If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Howard for the oh! Soaring through the air! High-flying Slovakian! Screen pass here, he'll get one. And he stays alive and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat, he'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse! And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration, step back, oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg, powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Tuesday edition, another game day edition of Orange Nation. Phone lines are open at 315 315- 437-7644, just one guest lined up for you. We've got the assistant coach, Jerry McNamara, set to join us at 1230, as he does every Tuesday. We'll get his thoughts on Northeastern tonight. Huskies coming to town with a 4-4 four and four record, including a win over Alabama. This is not a pushover game tonight, but again, uh, one of these that, that Syracuse should win and should win comfortably. Of course, we thought that against Cornell. We thought that against Colgate. We thought that against Moorhead State. Syracuse has, uh, I don't want to say struggled with these teams, but maybe these games, games Seth, have been a little bit closer than we've expected. Um, yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, the, the, these games have been a little closer than they should have been. The UConn game was was another one where you should have gone out and won, maybe not comfortably, but you should have gone out and won, uh, and they couldn't get the job done there. So, yeah, I, I look at tonight as a game where you could get on track. Yeah, I mean, even the, the Colgate game, I mean, the, the final spread ended up being 21 points. Uh, but that was a close game. I mean, it was a one-possession game at the half, and then Syracuse played well in the second half. You say this is a, a chance to to kind of get right tonight. Um, you mentioned that to me before the show as well. You really think this is a chance to quiet the concerns? I guess the way that I look at it, when you say this is a chance to get right, the way that I look at it is, you know, we're, what, seven games? This is game number eight of the yes. season. This team's been inconsistent. This team has has really yet to play a full 40 minutes. Are we in agreement in that? Like, they have not played 40 minutes yet. Even the Ohio State game, you know, they, they played really slow. well, but they started slow. They fell behind, you know, 9-2. to It was 14-7. They were in tons of foul trouble. It was a close game at the half, uh, down by a bucket at the half, and then they played great in the second half. They really haven't put together 40 full minutes. And I guess my, my point is, is, even if they go out and they just blow out Northeastern, is that going to quiet all the concerns you have about this team? No, but if they go out and they do the same thing Saturday, it's going to create so many more co- that they did Saturday. It's going to create more concerns. And I, I guess that's what I'm getting at is is that, yeah, it's not a game that is going to fix all your problems. It's not going to you know make us sit here tomorrow and say, hey, everything's fixed. They're a top 25 team. Cool. Let's go. Let's, let, let's go back to the Final Four. That, that's what the, the expectations are of this team. Uh, but it's a game that can at least quiet it. A little bit, you know. It's it's a game that if they go out there and they win by twenty, I don't think we'll be coming in tomorrow and saying, yeah, you know, there's there's still some stuff that I have a problem with, and yeah, you know, the centers aren't really good, but like whatever. Like I, I think if they win by twenty, it, it it makes you worry a little bit less about some of those issues. It's not a game that you're gonna look at and say all is fixed, all is well with the orange, but it's a game that 
if you win and win the way you're supposed to, I don't think it will raise more questions. I, quite honestly, I don't think that Syracuse has another game uh, like that. Hey, if they win, things are going to feel like they're, sem- they're they're relatively fixed until Buffalo, until Bonaventure, until the ACC slate. So we're talking about two, three weeks until you get into those games that you really feel like uh, if Syracuse performs and wins and plays well, then you'll feel like something's fixed and moving in the right direction. Sometimes the final spread though can can be deceiving. You know, you say like if, you go out, game. if you go out and win by twenty or thirty points, you'll feel like all right, things are back on track. I, I'm going to go back to the opener. They won the opener by thirty two points. Did you feel good coming out no. of that Eastern Washington game? No. You know, defensively they were great. I think we learned, you know, the the following week that Eastern Washington is is not good at all. I mean, not that we expected Eastern Washington to be good, um, but they won that game by thirty two. Offensively, they did not look all that that great. Um, Morehead State they won by fourteen. That was the game. You know, Jalen Carey struggled with turnovers, and again, Morehead State hung around longer than they probably should have. Did you feel good about Syracuse coming out of the Moorhead State game? No, no, it was it was too close for comfort. Yeah. I mean, we had just the seen only them. game. Look, the only game I felt good about Syracuse coming out of is the Ohio State game. Yes, correct. And I, and I think that anybody else would agree with that. But I, what I'm saying is, if if you go out and you play uh, a good game, a game that you win and and win convincingly, and you, and you look all right, like I. I, you know, it's, it's a game that you'll feel better about yourself. You know, if they come out and they do the same thing that they did against Cornell and you're in a game up until the last minute with Northeastern, you know, that that's going to be another day of shows, another couple of days of shows here where we're going to be talking about, wow, what's wrong with this team? Why can't they get it right? And if you play a team with more talent, you're going to lose. And if you go out, I think, and you play well, at least you don't have those questions anymore. It's not a game that you're going to come out of and you're going to say, all is fixed. But it's a game that you could come out of and say, all right, like maybe maybe something clicked after that game and, and you're feeling a little bit better about where this team is at. And I understand what you're saying, and you're, and you're not wrong. Would I feel better about this team if they go out and win by 25 tonight opposed to by 7? Absolutely. I guess my point is, is that... I need to see consistency from this team because right now we're, we're just we're not seeing consistency. We we saw great half of basketball against Ohio State. Uh, we saw great half of basketball against Colgate in, in the second half. Both sides of the ball, offensively, they got it going. Defensively, you know, they were able to shut down what Colgate was doing in the first half. It, we've seen bits and pieces. We just we haven't seen forty minutes yet. And if they go out and they play forty minutes tonight, well, then the narrative is going to be, well, it was just Northeastern. Or if they do it on Saturday against Georgetown, it's going to be, well, Georgetown's not very good. Georgetown's not the the Georgetown of old. And then they've got Old Dominion. Four games from now, they play Buffalo. Buffalo is a good team. Yes, Buffalo is a Buffalo is a top twenty team, yes, seventeen in one poll, eighteen in the other. Buffalo's the main reason Syracuse got in last year. Uh, that that win uh, inside the dome turned out to be a quadrant one win. That is an important game. So I'm not saying these these three games don't matter. They obviously do. They need to win. They need to work on things. They've got a lot to work on. More to work on than we thought when the season started. I kind of point to that Buffalo game though. In two weeks, two weeks from tonight, they take on Buffalo at eight o'clock inside the Carrier Dome. That's the the next big game, and I think that's the next chance for this team to to make a statement, to yes. to make a statement to all of us that okay, all is well. You know, go out that night and play well, and then you can kind of you know forgive you know what's what's happened in the, yeah. the, the beginning part of the season. No, I, I totally agree with that, and and I th- that's what I was trying to say earlier. You know, it's 
Tonight's a get-right game in, in the way that you should beat Northeastern, and you should play well against Northeastern, and you should have time to get your shots off, and you should be able to make plays, and you should be able to create, and you should be able to do everything that you want to do, so go, go, so go and do it. It's not going to answer questions, but they're going to probably look good tonight. And if they don't look good, then you're, you've got the same questions that we had after the Colgate game, after the Cornell game, and so on and so forth. The next chance they have to make a statement, though, is that Buffalo game, is that St. Bonaventure game, Notre Dame to open the non-conference slate. Like These are games that you just have to win at this point. You've got to beat Northeastern. You've got to beat Georgetown. You've got to beat Old Dominion. You've just got to win these games. And so... With that as the baseline, use them as your opportunity to get right. Use them as your opportunity to figure out the offense, to get the big men involved. Uh, I'm not saying to tinker with things, but to figure out what the best version of this team is and can be. That's what these three games are for. Yeah, and I guess when you use the term get right, I look at you know the Buffalo game is the get right game. Well, see, and I, I guess it's a different definition because I look at it as a down opponent that you're supposed to just knock the snot out of. Yes, and and then you're supposed to just feel great about yourself coming out. So I look at it as like Cornell. Cornell should have been a get right game, right? Or or after they went to New York City and they had Colgate, like they should have come come back and and just been pissed beyond all belief and just knocked the snot out of Colgate and then you would have been like all right everything's back on track everybody scored 20 points frank looks fantastic and you would have you would have felt good about where you were with that game uh obviously that hasn't happened yet that, and and that's why i use this term for tonight and not the buffalo game like to me the buffalo game's a test the buffalo game is a is a a, a marquee a resume game you know th- this is kind of the game that you're sitting back and you should say all right, what can we do to feel good about ourselves coming out of tonight's game? And I guess the fact that, that they had two missed opportunities with those get-right games, the Colgate game and Cornell game. You know, Cornell, I say, was a get-right game because it was after Ohio State. Okay, that was a test. That was a statement game. You you come back home, and now you have a chance to show that, all right, th- this team's on a roll that, you know, all is forgiven from the beginning of the season. Those concerns that everyone had, they're, they're, they've been put to bed. So now we've seen two opportunities. The Colgate game coming back from New York where they didn't play well in the first half, played well in the second half. And the, the Cornell game uh, coming back from that Ohio State game, those missed opportunities, to me, signal that whatever happens tonight, there are still some concerns and some things that this team needs to work through. You mentioned the team getting right. I think we're starting to see individual players get right. I think we've certainly seen Tyus Battle get right since Frank Howard's come back. He scored 70 points in the last three games. He's the reigning ACC Player of the Week. 46 points uh, combined against Cornell and Ohio State. I think he's gotten right. I think O'Shea Brissett has gotten right. We saw him in New York. He was settling for outside shots, settling for threes, and in a lot of cases, deep threes at the Garden. He got away from doing what he does best, which is just being a beast and attacking the basket and driving and getting to the free throw line and, you know, nobody can stop me type mentality. Um, he was bailing out the defense by taking a lot of, you know, deep shots and in a lot of cases, deep threes. I think he has gotten right. I think the next guy in line is they need Frank Howard to get right because he. It has not been attacking, and you know we brought this up on the show yesterday, and, and it's something we can ask Jerry here in about 15 minutes. I wonder if he came back a touch too soon, or if all things were going well, if maybe Frank waits another week or two before he comes back, or maybe it's simply conditioning or rust. I mean, he didn't play for nine weeks, so and then he had, and then he had what, like four practices, and then yeah, <laughs> that was thrown so out on the court. It's it's possible, it's plausible that. He came back at the right time. He's just, you know, he's not up to speed conditioning wise and he's still got a little rust that he has to shake off. I mean, again, he didn't play for more than two months. 
So that that is possible. Or maybe they were like, listen, you know, we, we really need you. Or Frank felt like I'm letting the team down. I really need to, to push myself and get back. You know, that Ohio State game is huge. So let me come back for Colgate. Let me get my feet wet, play Ohio State. He does. He's not the same player he was last year. Um, and you you hope that he can get right and and use these next you know six games to close out 2018 to truly get right before ACC play starts up. Right, because that's the big one. the The big one is being at full strength when you go to Notre Dame on January 5th and you start your ACC schedule. Uh, you need to be at your your best. That right and. You know, maybe not your best because you want to be your best in March and blah, 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 and whatever. But well, you want to be better you, than this, right? Right. But you've got to be better than you are right now when you get to ACC play uh, and when you start with that game against Notre Dame. That, that's kind of the start of this run. Because if you can go and you can, uh, you know, just kind of, I'm not going to say run the table, but make a run in the ACC schedule, uh, you're getting yourself into the NCAA tournament. But you've got to be at your best to go make that run because we know how deep the ACC is. So... Whether it's using these three games before Buffalo to figure out what your best team is, or using the next six games, including Buffalo and St. Bonaventure, to figure out what your best team is, uh, you've got to you've got to start doing that. You've got to get Frank Howard back to what he is. You've got to get the centers back to what they were doing at the end of last season and being legitimate contributors to this team. Elijah Hughes can't do what he did on Saturday. You know, it's it's little, you know, in, in some cases big things, in some cases little things. But you've got to figure out what your best team is and what your best combination is and, and how to get to that place. Yeah, they, they do have to, to get the centers right. Uh, Barama and Pascal, no doubt, uh, need to play better. I'm not worried about Elijah Hughes at all. I think he had one game where he kind of blended into the background and disappeared. I mean, prior to, to that game over the weekend against Cornell, you know, he had scored Five straight games, he was in double figures. Uh, you know, 21, 15, 14, 17, 18. I mean, he's he's been he's been there, and he's been a, a key player. He just he he kind of blended into the background against Cornell, and only took three shots. And you know, I, I did the Adrian Autry show last night, and I asked Coach. I said, you know, would you have liked to see him be more assertive? Uh, and he said, absolutely. And it's something that they talked about after the game. So I, I expect fully expect Elijah Hughes to bounce back. The, the guys they need to quote unquote get right, in my opinion, Frank, Frank and Howard and the centers. Yep. Um, and I'm not worried about Frank. Like I, eventually, he's going to come around and be the Frank that we're used to seeing. I am slightly concerned about the centers because we're not we're not seeing progress. In some cases, we're seeing regression. I think in most cases, we're seeing regression. You know, we're seeing you know them go to the bench a minute into the last two games uh, because of you know a mistake that was made right off the bat. So that's something that, that definitely needs to be addressed and to be fixed. We do need to take our first time out. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four. We've got Jerry McNamara set to join us in about 15 minutes from now. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Hour number two of Orange Nation underway on ESPN Radio. We are brought to you by Hummel's Office Plus and powered by Drivers Village. Phone lines open all of hour number two at 315 315- Four three seven seventy six forty four. We can certainly talk some basketball. It is game night inside the dome. The Orange getting set to take on four and four Northeastern. Had Jerry McNamara on in hour number one. 
He thinks this is a dangerous team. They can shoot the the heck out of the basketball. They're as a team uh, making better than forty one percent of their three point attempts. Uh, Jordan Rowland, the kid from West Hill, the the team's leading scorer, he's hitting about fifty percent of his three point attempts. He's averaging sixteen points per game. It'll be good to see uh, Jordan Rowland back in town. I'm sure he's going to have a lot of family and friends in attendance. So again, we can talk some SU basketball here in hour number two. I do want to kick off hour number two uh, talking football. Uh, we're we're starting to see. Some rumblings, not necessarily reports, uh, but there is this overwhelming belief that Will Greer, West Virginia star quarterback, and several West Virginia seniors may skip the Camping World Bowl to get ready for the the NFL draft and you know protect their bodies and yeah, obviously they don't want to get hurt uh, as they you know start to get ready for the NFL draft. My question to you to to kick off the hour, Seth. If they don't play, let's say even it's just just Will Greer because he's the the headliner for this team. It was you know this was supposed to be a matchup of Dungey against Greer. You know, Q's West Virginia high scoring affair. We saw the over under come out. The, the over under set at seventy four points. It's the the second highest over under of any of the bowl games, second only to to Alabama and Oklahoma. Vegas is expecting a shootout. If Will Greer is not on the field. Does this game lose its luster at all for you from a Syracuse perspective, the fact that they still have the chance to win 10 games, so on and so forth? Actual game on the field? Yes. it loses Your excitement the luster. level for this game at all, does actually, it change it? Like, for what I'm actually going to see, yes. It changes my excitement level. It changes my my interest. It changes you know how you feel about what this game is going to be. Um, as far as Syracuse going to the Camping World Bowl, Syracuse going and having a shot at 10 wins, and let's face it, if Will Greer is not playing, a pretty good shot at 10 wins, um, you know, that doesn't change. That level of excitement does not change for me should these guys not play. The thing that changes is my excite- would be my excitement level of like what we're actually going to see on the field, and I think that's a big part of it. Like I, I think that... Uh, when this bowl matchup was announced, I was really excited because I thought this was going to be a really good game. Um, and as you said, nothing official on Will Greer, nothing official that he's not going to play. Um, you know, again, we had Carly Nevis from uh, WDTV in in the Morgantown area uh, on our bowl special on Sunday night, and she didn't think that Will Will Greer would sit. She thought that Greer would would end up playing. Um, you know, that David Sills, one of the receivers after the Oklahoma game, said, no, I haven't played my last game with Will Greer. I'm going to play with him again. Um, so I, I, I think that there's still a decent chance that he plays. Um, I would think that some of the fan scuttlebutt and some of the fan murmuring is more about, hey, we ended up in this ball? Forget that. Who cares? And it's kind of like taking your anger out on something else. I, I think it makes... For a prospect like Will Greer, I don't know that it makes sense for him to not play. To for, not play for I don't know that that makes sense for for somebody who's gonna be in the first round for uh, an Ed Oliver for uh, a Rashawn Gary who are top ten picks makes all the sense in the world to me for for Will Greer who might be a second round pick I I don't know you know I'm I'm just I'm not sure and and um, I'm all for guys if they want to not play if they want to you know take care of themselves and and go to the NFL and and stay healthy and not put their body on the line for that last game that's fine I I understand that and, and it makes a lot of sense to me but um I I also think that it makes a lot more sense for the guys who are gonna be the highest picks you know I I don't know that it it would make sense for Will Greer to give up an opportunity to showcase himself. Well, and this is this is my like argument it's one to more that. Game. Well, this is my argument to that though. 
you're right. The the guys that are going to be in the top ten or fifteen, they have more to lose financially. But the guys who you know, if you're saying Will Greer's going to be a second round pick, he's got a lot to lose as well. In that, you know, weigh the risk and the reward. If he plays lights out in a bowl game against the Syracuse defense that has had issues on and off throughout the year. Does that help his stock all that much? I mean, everybody's expecting this game to be a shootout. So if he throws for four touchdowns against Syracuse in a bowl game, does that help his stock? His stock, in my opinion, is going to be helped by going to the Combine and his pro day and showing off his arm. And we joke about how ridic- ridiculous this is year in and year out. But, you know, quarterbacks with, you know, shirts on and uh, shorts and, you know, T-shirts on, no pads. And, you know, they're they're slinging it around on a, on a pro day in a controlled environment. Um, you know that's not what you do on Sundays, but their their stock can go up with those things. How they tested the combine, I don't know as if his stock's going to go up all that much if he if he torches a Syracuse defense. And I'm not saying he would. Um, they put up a lot of points, but will his stock go up? You know if he if he throws for four touchdown passes against Syracuse, I I highly doubt it. I think his stock's going to go up. It's going to come down to how he looks at the combine, how he looks in his pro day, how he interviews. Yes, I, I mean look, you're you're a quarterback playing in a Big Twelve offense. You're going to look good. Almost no matter what in that ball game, and, and to your point, uh, quarterbacks are are always the fastest rising position in the draft, especially in a draft this year. It's kind of weak at the top. It's Justin Herbert. It's maybe Dwayne Haskins um, if he comes out. You know, it's it's those two, and they have a decision to make. Uh, otherwise, like you could be looking at Will Greer as the top quarterback in this draft, and all of a sudden, if you're the top quarterback in the draft, you're no longer a second round pick. You're you're pushing up to the top of the first round, no matter what you are, and so. You know, I I get why. Again, I understand why you would sit out. I understand why you would say, you know what, I'm I'm going to stay healthy. I'm going to stay away from this. I don't need Alton Robinson coming at me. I don't need uh, Kendall Coleman coming at me. Like I'm good. I, I I'm going to save myself. I get it, but I, I don't think he's the prospect level of people who have sat out. I don't think he's Leonard Fournette. He's not uh, Christian McCaffrey. He's not Ed, Ed Oliver and Rashawn Gary. And I know that eventually this is going to trickle down to guys who are in the second, third, fourth round, whatever, and, and on and on and on down the list. And it is it, it is ultimately up to the individual. Like, if, if you want to sit out, if you think that's what's best, go for it. Like, I'm good with it. But uh, to me, I don't know that that makes sense for him. Uh, and, again, to, to circle back, I don't think that it dampens your mood if you're a Syracuse fan because – you're still at the best place that you can possibly be. You've still reached uh, best-case scenario of this season, which is getting to the bowl game for the second-best team in the ACC and having the possibility to go win 10 games and finish the year in the top 25. Is Will Greer among the the top four quarterbacks that's going to be available next year? Probably. Probably. I would agree with that. Josh Allen was considered the fourth-best quarterback in the draft. He went seventh overall. But But Josh Allen was considered a better prospect than Will Greer. Wasn't he? I get. I mean, not his, his consistency was a major, major issue. It was arm strength with Josh Allen, right? It was mobility and arm strength. And he went to Wyoming. And how was he going to be? You know, there there were a lot of questions with Josh Allen. There were. My point is with Will Greer. If you consider him a top four quarterback, he's there's a good chance he could go. You know, end of the, the first round, right? Somewhere sure. in the first round. So he's got a lot to lose uh, as well. Is is he, my point? No, he does. I, I'm not. I'm not denying that. I look from a from an on the field standpoint, it dampens your mood. I think that generally speaking, though, it doesn't, and it's it's still a great uh, accomplishment that Syracuse got there, and a great opportunity to go get a tenth win and, and move this program forward. It, it may dampen it initially, 
Um, but I think, you know, when we flip through the media guide, you know, five, ten years from now, we look back and say, you know, when's the last time they won ten games in a year? Do, do you realize, uh, John Wildheck mentioned this the other day when, you know, when we were uh, up on the SU Hill on uh, on Sunday, and, and he said it to me during our interview, and I, I kind of did a double take, and I went back and, and checked. I, I figured he was right. I just wanted to go back and double check. He said this would be the seventh time in program history that they won ten games. And I was like, is that That's right? incredible. And again, I, I was sure that he was right, but I just wanted to double check and see it for myself. Sure enough, he's right. They, they've won they've won ten games six times, ten or more. They they had a couple years where they they won more than ten, um, you know, fifty nine and and then eighty seven. They've had six years in the history of more than a hundred years of college football. Six times they've, they've won double digit games. I I found that truly truly remarkable. Look, this is a year that they're. They're knocking out a lot of those things. They haven't been ranked since 2001. They they haven't won 10 games since 2001. Uh, they had never scored 50 game 50 points in a game as many times as they have this year. You know, they there's a lot of things that they're doing for the first time in a long time, or or making program history about. You know, it it, it makes sense for them to go win 10 games this year. Three one five four three seven seventy six forty four is the number if you'd like to get involved. We got to take a time out. We're back after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Tuesday edition of Orange Nation. We'll get to our top five, bottom five here in a moment. Uh, But to the phone lines we go, Jeff and us, we go next up on the show. Hey, Jeff. Hey, guys. uh, Taking my little guy up to the dome tonight. I just just wanted to ask you guys, seen the post-standard today? They did a nice story about this uh, local kid, Roland. Yeah. Says he's averaging uh, about 16 points a game, 15.9, and he's one of the top, you know, three point shooters in the country. 50 percent shooter. Yeah, uh, he's, did, uh, yeah. Go did ahead. you ever even take a look at this kid? Do you guys know anything about that? Uh, I don't believe he was uh, somebody that they were going after. I think you know the the conventional wisdom around jo- Jordan Rowland was that he was you know a mid major and he you know he 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 was that kind of talent. He slotted into that kind of position. Um, he's having a terrific career there. He's you know a junior this year and and as you said, their team's leading scorer at sixteen per game and, and hitting about fifty percent of his his three pointers. Won a couple of state titles at West Hill. Um, I, I believe he was you know looking at you know like Bonnie's Niagara. Canisius, you know, those kinds of schools. Um, So I I don't know as if SU really got serious about Jordan Rowland, but the the kid's a heck of a talent. A little undersized probably for Major Division I. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, you know, to to your point, he is a a mid-major talent, and he he is excelling at the mid-major level. You know, just just because he's playing really well at his level doesn't mean that you're a a larger talent. And there are kids who play at each level, and, and people have incredible success uh, at the mid-major level, we've seen it time and again. They, they it, it is really good basketball, and, and Jordan Rollins found a good fit uh, for himself and, and made the most of it. All right, let's uh, go back to the full line. Scooter in Jamesville, up next on the show. Hey, Scooter. Hey, guys, let me bring it up. I was going to bring it up yesterday, you know, talking to SU uh, football. But, I, I see, I have a problem with the, uh, actually calling this a national championship football uh, tournament because basically – Half the teams aren't really invited. I mean, it's, basically, it's a Power Five championship. And I know we talked about it last year. And Steve, it sounds like you're more on board. Who I am. You, you know, you extended to eight. You got the five conference champions plus two wild cards plus the best of the other non-five non-power. And at least you have a you know a participation. I mean, 
you know, you know, thank God, thank God, the NCAA basketball tournament isn't isn't as narrow minded because you never had Larry Bird play against Magic Johnson for the for the title because because Larry Bird played for Indiana State. You know, Gonzaga played North Carolina a couple of years ago. Loyola of Chicago actually made the Final Four last year. You know, I'm getting to the point where if it's just going to be the same four teams every year, it's almost like watching the NBA playoffs because basically you're already starting with Clemson. And, and the rest, unless Florida State and Miami get real good real fast, it's going to be Clemson. It, you know, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter if you win your conference tournament either. I mean, you know, right? Because Alabama, they lost. Everybody says they're, they're going. Some people think Georgia should have gone. They lost. If you win your conference tournament, it doesn't mean you're in. I mean, Washington won their their title. Ohio State won their title. So you know, it has to be a point where. I don't know how do you call it a national championship when you're not basically basically about sixty teams aren't aren't basically never have a shot to play for it. Yeah, I'm with you, Scooter. And you say it's basically a Power 5 championship. It's not even that. I mean, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 didn't get a representative this year. And if Georgia had beaten Alabama, you know, to your point, you would have seen two conferences involved in the college football playoff. It would have been two from the SEC, one from the ACC, and one independent in Notre Dame, and three I don't of have the major big a problem. Three of the major do. conferences would have been left out. I don't have a biggest as big a problem with this as you guys do. The I, I don't I. If you're going to extend it to eight teams, fine. I mean, I don't, I don't think you need to. But I, I would say please don't make it automatic bids. Don't don't promise bids to a group of five school. Don't do any of that garbage because all of a sudden, all of a sudden you get you get the ACC championship game and somehow Pitt pulls the upset and Pitt gets your ACC bid. Like who wants to see that? No, no, so, no. That's so not like the I, case. But let me ask you this: What if what if the best team in each conference went undefeated? What are you going to do? I, I mean, how I do don't you, know. How do you compare and contrast? What you if take, what you if take Notre the team Dame, from the better conferences? What if Notre Dame and the and the the winner of the Power Five schools all have the same record? They're they're all twelve and zero. What do you do? Or what you know? So are we going to be thirteen? You take the ones who played the better teams know? and beat the better but teams I, again. I mean, if like I don't. I don't. I don't How understand do you, why it's. I don't understand why we think it's impossible to pare it down to four. Like it's. You it's can't something just say that. that you though. Can. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. What if Alabama played in the Pac-12 and they beat everybody by thirty, but their but their competition was watered down? Do you point to that and say, "Well, look at who they played"? You know, we're going to take who played the better teams. So we're going to take you know Georgia because they played in the SEC and Alabama was killing everyone, but they played in the Pac-12. If they're both undefeated and one team played significantly better competition, yes. Why do you think UCF's not in? UCF's that, not in because they haven't played anybody. But like, that's if, but, but hang, if on, hang on, but hang, if on hang on, schedule, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not going to let you get away with that. You can't say look at UCF and compare it to the Pac-12. I, no, that's not what that, I'm saying. You just but, said look at UCF. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about I'm, a mid-major. I'm, I'm talking about the Power it, Five conferences. I'm using it as the baseline of we already use strength of schedule as a determinant. You, we already use strength of schedule as a deciding factor. Like if if somehow all five major leagues had conference champions that. Went undefeated, we would use strength of schedule. Like it's it's not it's, You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. If Alabama, this Alabama team, some people are calling it one of the best college sure. football teams ever. If this particular Alabama team this played team in the big in. played in the big tw- or played in the Pac twelve, you're saying you look at strength of schedule. No, they would get in. Why? Because you would look at them and say they beat everybody by thirty. Okay, so you can't take into so it's, it's strength, not strength of schedule. It's you would look, you would figure it out, and you would end up you would <laughs> end up you would end up with something where everybody would be pissed, and everybody would be yelling for six teams and eight teams and sixteen teams, and it would be mass chaos and mass hysteria. The system is flawed. It is the system is flawed. 
I look. I also don't want to start arguing for eighth and eighth and ninth and tenth teams. Like I, I think that at some point you run out of quality teams to put in a playoff. You know, this year, this year alone, compared to the teams that got in, Ohio State wasn't very good, right? Like there's a clear, there's a clear drop off from one, two, three. Was Michigan good? Because they State swaddled and, Michigan. What I'm saying is though. In the playoff field, there was a clear drop-off after 1-2-3 of Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame to Oklahoma, to Ohio State, to Michigan, to to, uh, to UCF, to any of these teams behind them. So, to me, if, if you were to expand, if you were to make this thing larger, that drop-off only gets greater, and then you end up with the same three teams in the Final Four anyway. Like, the, the drop-off only gets bigger when you start saying, you know, there's... There's that team that's hanging around 10th. There's that three-loss Washington team that won the Pac-12. Let me ask you this. And, you know, like, maybe maybe they've got a shot against Alabama, but we all know they don't, so let's throw them in anyway. Let me ask you this. We, we all agree Alabama's head and shoulders above everyone, or at least it feels like that. Are you convinced that if Clemson played in the 10, that Clemson would beat both Ohio State and Michigan? Yes. You're convinced of that? Yes. Okay, I am not. And we saw them almost lose to Texas A&M. We saw them almost lose to Syracuse at home. I I think Clemson is really good. I am not convinced. I think Clemson, that, Clemson that they're the would second be best team too. in the country. I, I'm I, I'm not convinced because it, the gap in my mind is not that great on any given day. Do I think Clemson is better than those teams? I tend to think so, but just by a smidge. Like I don't think it's a no-brainer. I think if Michigan and Ohio State played ten times, I don't think Ohio State's winning like that. You know, nine out of ten times. I think it's probably a 50-50 proposition. So, you know, do I see the value of having all of your Power 5 conference champs in? You know, I like what Scooter said. And, and, you know, we've been kind of preaching the same thing. The five conference champs, the, you know, two wild cards, and then the little guy. Or at least go to six and get the five conference champs and then one wild card. Again, if you want to expand it, I I don't love expansion because I think it gets, I I think at some point in the argument just gets dumb and there's no argument about these next best teams. I but if Georgia but if, or Ohio State slash Michigan was in, and that's six, fine. Are you? I, I mean, no. Do I, any of them not deserve to be there? No. I mean, I guess that that works more than my my point is that the argue, we love this thing, and college football loves this four team playoff because we're sitting here arguing about who should have gotten in rather than Oklahoma. And I don't know that if you get it to eight, you would argue just for the sake of arguing who should have gotten those two wild cards. But the argument's not as good. The argument's not as good between 8 and 9 as it is between 4, 5, 6. That is true, but ultimately, don't you want to crown the best team in college football? And, you know, you're telling me that Georgia... I mean, based on what I saw, do I think Georgia could win three games and win the national title? I do. I do. So, you know, yeah, we're going to crown a national title, and it's probably going to be Alabama, but you can't convince me that if, you know, if Georgia wasn't involved in this thing or Ohio State or, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, whoever gets in out of the Big Ten, you can't convince me that they couldn't, they're not capable of winning three games. My my last thought, though, and and I said this before, I really don't want auto bids for conferences. And I I, I think that that's a, I, I don't think that's, like I don't think that's really what you want because then you end up with a team that pulls an upset and a team that's just not good enough and then you're out and then you're out of really good I'm team not because even you suggesting... only have because you only have two because you've only got a couple of wild cards and all of a sudden this Clemson team you know takes the spot of Georgia you know or takes the spot of name that team who you think should get a shot but ah uh, you know what Pittsburgh won the conference championship and I'm not even suggesting that it's an automatic bid I just think you need enough spots to to fit. 
the teams capable of winning a national title. I don't think four spots is enough to include all of the teams capable of winning a national title. I think eight certainly does. I think six is better. I, I don't love four for a lot of reasons. We are up against the clock. we got to take a timeout. We will get to the top and bottom five and today's business right after this.